Nativia, www.netivyah.org. Is it possible to restore the New Testament church? A three-part series recorded February 1994 at North Atlanta Church of Christ. Part 1 of 3. We've been enjoying so much having Joseph with us, and today kind of begins the second lap of our time together with him. Today's theme is what I think is one of the most interesting and one of the most critical subjects that we can talk about. If someone were to ask you the question, what is it that's different about the Church of Christ so far as it relates to other churches around you, have you ever had to answer that question? What's different about the Church of Christ? What have you said? Well, uh, instrumental music, that's uh, Joseph. And, and that probably, if, if people are visiting with us, that's probably the first thing that they observe is that that's what's different. Joseph, I think the theme of today is probably the unique thing about Churches of Christ. He's going to be talking about the Restoration Movement, the attempts to, make, to, to restore uh, the first century Christianity. And what that means to us, we are a part of a movement that began this a long time ago. And he's going to be saying some things about that and perhaps relighting some fires in some of us and informing others of us who probably didn't even know that. So we're glad today to have Joseph with us for uh, this class time and then later in the day for the worship services as well. I want to start this morning with a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is, that I really and truly, from the depth of my heart, appreciate Christian history. I appreciate Martin Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Hus and Hudson Taylor and William Carey and all the great men who have given so much to the general Christian world. And we cannot deny the contribution of great artists and musicians like Handel and Haydn to, the, to, to our civilization and to Christianity in general. And when we talk about restoration of the first century church, it does not mean that we are with one fast sweep wiping out all of Western Christian civilization. Now, you may not like to call it Christian civilization, but to the world at large, the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church and the Protestant Church and all the daughters of Rome are Christians. That's how the world looks at them. That's how the world calls them. That's how they identify themselves. And I don't want... This is a disclaimer, remember. I don't want anybody to think that I am putting down anybody or Christian civilization or the Christian world or the, the contributions that Christian history has given in art, music, philosophy, theology to the way of life that we call today Western or Christian way of life, the Judeo-Christian ethic. This I have to say because the things that I'm going to be saying the rest of the day may sound like I am negating everything that the West and the Christian world stands for. And I am not. I think that, that we all can appreciate Haydn's Messiah, Handel's Messiah, excuse me, or Haydn's creation. Or we can all appreciate a great painting by, by Titan, and, and, and all the great people who painted biblical scenes in uh, Christian history. They are wonderful contributions to humanity. St. Francis of Assisi and Anselm and, and Thomas Aquinas all did a lot for our world. And we are not negating these things. And we would be the poorer if we didn't learn to appreciate Christian history. We would be the poorer. But... What we are dealing with in church and in our spiritual life privately and collectively has nothing to do with civilization, with culture, or with art. It has to do with the redemption and the salvation of our soul. 
Yeah? I love to fellowship everybody and to have fun with everybody. Yeah? I love to do it. And oftentimes I succeed in spite of my brethren. I'm talking about my brethren in Jerusalem, not in America. But uh, the issue that concerns me is that I, Joe Shulam, wants to make sure that he is in the will of God, that he is saved, that he holds to the truth, that he has an authentic, biblical-based faith. That's the issue. It's not art, it's not culture, it's not Santa Claus, and it's not music uh, in the church. Yeah? I want to make sure, not that I'm having a good time now, but when I die in the judgments day, that the Lord will tell me, come in, you good and faithful servant. Yeah? By the grace of Jesus Christ and his blood, come in. That's what my concern is. That's what I want to restore. Now, some general principles when one talks about the restoration movement. Restoration movement or the restoration of the early church is a human prerogative. We decided, Campbell, Stone and others decided that they want to restore the church. Now, was it lawful for them to decide this or not? Why did they decide it? What was the necessity of making such a decision that we want to restore the church? And what are the tools that are given to us today in order to accomplish this restoration? It's very important that we reiterate these things. First, the word restoration. What does it imply? You with the red blouse there, sister, with the red shirt, sweater. What does the word restoration imply? If I say I'm going to restore a house, what does it imply? What? There is something to restore. Make over. But why do I want to restore a house? There is something wrong with it. Some things are broken. Some things don't work. The walls need propping up. The roof is leaking. I want to restore it. And the first thing that the restoration implies that something is wrong with it. It's not the way it was originally designed to be. That's what the word restore means. What does the word rebuild mean? It's different than restore, right? I'm picking up people with red sweaters today. What does the word rebuild mean, John? That's right. It's because you're wearing red and I, I see red in my eyes. Uh, so what does the word rebuild mean? What's the difference between rebuild and restore? Rebuild... Restore means that you restore it to its original condition. That the way it was in the beginning, that's how it's going to be. Rebuild means that you're going to rebuild the building, but you haven't committed to make it just exactly like it was in the beginning. That's the difference between rebuild and restore. Yeah? Now, we are talking about a restoration of the early church. Yeah? That's the commitment that we have chosen to make because we want to make sure that the Bible faith is restored. That we are back in the same state that the church was left when the last of the apostles died and left the writings and the instructions of how the church ought to be. Yeah? That's what we want to restore. Now, the implication that Christianity has gone astray. Yeah? You feel comfortable with it? Has Christianity gone astray and how? Help me. How has Christianity gone astray? The values have been changed. What else? Some more physical, big things. Give me big blocks. Division. The Lord established one church... And today there's over 4,000 
different denominations, with each one warring and fighting with each other and arguing on everything that can be argued on. So that's not how the Lord designed His body. Go ahead. Uh, that's, it, it's true, but I want bigger blocks. So the, the vision is, is very visible. Everybody can see it. Yeah? Go ahead. The, the commitment level is weak. Listen. The commitment level is weak now. It was weak before. It was weak to, in some people in the first century. And there will be, always be weak commitment level in the church. And there will always be people who will march forward. That's true for everybody. It's not a necessarily unique thing for... for, for there is commitment level weak in, 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 in Judaism as well. And some in Islam. It's a question of relative, relativity. More, bigger blocks, clearer things. Division is one of them. Authority. Brother Bill said that the authority, and that's true. How is the authority been in, in, the, in the large world of Christendom, how is the authority been lost? What has happened to authority? It's shifted to a vote of people, to a conference, or to a council. Uh, I said a few years ago with the Patriarch of Alexandria. His title is the Metropolit of Caesarea, the head of the Greek Orthodox Church in the Middle East. We had a very fine discussion. And he asked me about my faith and why I believe. And he was interested to know about Jewish people that are becoming believers in Jesus Christ. And after I described to him uh, what we believe, he congratulated me greatly and was very excited about it. And he said, if I didn't believe in the church councils, I'd believe exactly like you. Yeah? Now, it's, and he admitted that for him Christianity is more what the church councils decided than what is written in the text. Now, authority did shift in Christian history. For example, the New Testament is viewed by most Protestants. When I say Protestants, I mean the whole Protestant world. From charismatic in one section to the Presbyterians to the other section, the New Testament is viewed by most of them as a transition period. The first century, the time in which the text of the New Testament was recorded by the apostles, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is viewed as a transition period. It was a time when God was being kind to the church and allowing him to do all kinds of things that later on he forbade them from doing. Now in the churches of Christ we believe the same thing for the Jewish people. We say all the Jewish things that the church did in the first century were only a transition. The Jews were then went to the synagogue, they went to the temple, they kept the Jewish holidays, they were zealous for the law the way Jacob, James, the apostle, says to Paul in Acts 21, verse 20. They all were believing in Jesus Christ and zealous for the law. But most of our brethren and theologians in the restoration movement, because they are so separated from the Jewish world of the first century, say, oh, they still hold to the Protestant view. In other words, that was only a transition period. We also say, like most of the Protestant world, that the works of the Holy Spirit are only a transition period. In the first century they did it, but once they decided what is the canon of the New Testament, that stopped. Yeah? That is a change of authority. The basis of authority has changed. And if you ask these people... When and who made the canon? Yeah, the canon of the New Testament that we have today. Who, who made it? How did it come about? Where did it happen? Under whose auspices it happened? It happened under the auspices of the, what we call the Catholic Church today. There wasn't a bunch of Camelites in Asia Minor deciding which books are in or out. There were a bunch of Catholic priests. 
It's a Catholic tradition that we have accepted as authority, and rightly so, because that was the only church that existed at that time. Yeah? And, 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 and we have made, we have bought into this, we haven't bought, we just haven't restored, since the restoration movement came out of the, the, the world of the Protestant church, of the Reformation churches in Scotland and Ireland, we just haven't finished the work of restoration. And we have remained with some of the heritage that was Protestant. And that heritage was that the New Testament period, the first century, was a transition period. The authority of the church no longer resided in what the text said, but what other people said that the text said. In councils or in other places. If you want to call it tradition, whatever you want to call it, it's fine. But that's, in other words, people read in the text that different, that the church lived in, in a certain manner. And they said, yes, this is true. They did live that way in the first century. But that was only the tr a transition period. Yeah. Campbell, Stone, and the restoration preacher said, just a minute. On some of these things, it was not a transition period. The authority of the church resides in the revelation of God, which is recorded by faithful men in the text of inspired writings that we call today the New Testament. Yeah? The New Testament, by the way, is what happened on the cross. It's not a book. Yeah? We call it the New Testament as over against the Old Testament. As a counterpart to the Old Testament. This is the new revelation of God. Yeah? For lack of better term, we call it the New Testament. Alright? Now, we have two things that are major blocks that went astray in Christian history. The unity and the authority. What else? went astray. We're getting into harder territory. The cultural assimilation. You're right. What happened is, in the beginning of the fourth century, as long as the church was persecuted by the pagans in the Roman Empire, the church stayed more or less united and more or less active and it marched on and evangelized and did a lot of wonderful things and fought against heresy. But Constantine, at the year 315, became a Christian for political reasons. And by the year 320, forced Christianity on the Roman Empire. So you could imagine the rate of evangelism. Millions of people became Christians overnight without having a Bible in their hand, without knowing how to read or write, without hearing the gospel. Yesterday they were pagan, and today they became Christian by a political decree. Yeah? It was a political decree that the emperor of the Roman Empire decreed that the whole Roman Empire will be Christian. If you're not Christian... You are now going to be a second-class citizen. Yeah? And many of your rights would be taken. So everybody became Christian. What happened is that they just changed the names of their idols. From Zeus to Jesus. Yeah? And they brought in that idolatry and gave it a kosher stamp that it is now Christianity. That's what happened in the days of Constantine. Yeah? So what happened is they, they did not assimilate into Christianity. They assimilated Christianity into paganism. That's what happened. And that's the heritage that developed from the Byzantine Empire. Yeah? That's where we get a lot of the essential pagan attitudes that are within the Western Church today. Yeah? So that's true. Uh, one more. The mission of the church. 
Is that what you mean? The mission of the church. Yeah, by mission we don't mean just missionary evangelism. But what is the purpose of the church? And that is also very true. Uh, the mission of the church changed. From an essence of, how should I say, uh, 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 from, from being salt and light to the world, it became all of a sudden the establishment. Up to that time it was the anti-establishment. Yeah? It was a living movement that its aims were to change the world. Yeah? After the 4th and 5th century in the Byzantine Empire, it became a living movement with its aims to rule the world, to take over the world and not to change the world. And that was a major change in mission. One more thing that, uh, that, is, is, that has become different is the polity, the government of the church. You could say the focus of the church. But the government of the church also changed. From an inverted pyramid, where the greatest among you is the one who serves all, it became like the Roman emperor. The head of the church became the emperor. And below him, instead of the proconsuls, they were the cardinals. And under the cardinals were the archbishops. But it was the same pyramid structure in which the Roman Empire functioned under. And that was not the way God designed the church in the New Testament. It's a major change. And we are still battling that phenomena, by the way. Everywhere in the West and in the East, we're still battling this phenomena of getting away from the authoritarian leadership over the church. Yeah? Now, these are four things, big blocks of things, that today, in, in what is called Christendom, are different than what there is in pictures of the church in the New Testament. Okay, now, so we would say that if we really wanted to make sure that we are living according to the will of God, we'd have to go back and fix some of these things that have gone awry. Right? Because if we feel comfortable with the way Christianity developed and we consider the authority not to be in the Word of God but to be in the church, okay, let's relax, take it easy, you know, I'll start wearing robes and, you know, wave an incense burner. Yeah? It'd be easy. Then we could all relax and love each other and have no problems. But if we consider the basic truth that God's revelation is the only authority by which we may be sure that we are saved and living according to His will, then we've got to do some fixing, some repair. Yeah? If we are committed to make this repair, yeah, we have to know what tools are available to us in order to accomplish this repair. This is not a lecture, this is Sunday school. You can butt in any time. Uh, so what tools are available to us to make this repair? First thing we need to do is we need to decide what did the original building look like. Yeah. And then we need to decide how we're going to make it look like it used to look and like it was supposed to look according to the architect's plan. I think this, in the restoration movement, we've decided. But we haven't decided what tools are available to us in order to accomplish that. And that's a part of the problem that... I'm going to make a parenthetical statement. The churches of Christ are now in crisis. There is no doubt of that in my mind. Yeah? We're in crisis. The crisis is that we don't anymore know who we are and who we're supposed to be, or where we're we coming from or where we're we going to. I've heard preachers say, well, I'm not committed to the restoring of the first century church. I'm not interested. I'm only interested to do what the Bible says. They didn't understand what restoration means. Yeah? But what tools are available to us? We have an ancient document. 
Here we found now an ancient document and we say we want to know what this document says and we want to start living our life by this document. What tools are available to us? Folks in the back, don't go to sleep. Good morning, America. Uh, what tools are available to us? What? The Bible. The Bible is a book. Right? Let's talk about... We have a book. We say we want to restore the book. What tools are available to us to restore this, the life of this book? Faith. It's not a tool. It's a byproduct. Okay, we have language. Okay? Books, God revealed himself in words. Words are in a language. Yeah? And so we have the tool of language. Oh, prayer. Somebody said prayer. It's true. There is no relationship with God or with the Bible without prayer. But I want a better word. Kyle, what's a better word? What other tool is available to us? The Holy Spirit. Isn't the Holy Spirit what is supposed to guide us unto all truth? And if we want to know God's truth, yeah? Isn't the Holy Spirit a very important tool, instrument that is available, that was given to us, that, that God has given it to us, to every Christian? Yeah? Oh, we can't agree as to how that works. Here we are, another problem. We have a tool, and we don't know what we're supposed to do with it. There are, there are tools, tools like this. I tell you, there are tools like this, and there are people who love to buy tools. Yeah? And they buy all kinds of tools. You go to their garage, you see all kinds of tools. Yeah? But, but they don't know what, what are they supposed to do with this tool. You know? There, there is such a thing. And for us, true. We have lost the use of the Holy Spirit because we haven't used it for so long. Yeah? That we don't know what it's supposed to do. But here we are. That's another aspect that needs to be restudied and reevaluated from the scriptures in order to find out what is this tool supposed to do. It's supposed to guide us unto all truth. It's supposed to be the comforter. It's supposed to do this. Well, let's open the book, the manual, and find out. That's the essence of restoration. Right? I, I want to get into the Bible, so I want to go a little bit faster on this. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have language, we have what else? Fellowship is not a tool. Church history. We can retrace back and find out how did the building get to be in this ramshackled condition that we find it in today? Yeah? We can trace back and see where did the, the plumbing go wrong, where did the electricity was cut off, where did the power stop. We can find these things from church history. It's a tool. You're right. What else? All right. Somebody said Jewish literature. Not only Jewish literature. All the ancient literature that was contemporary with the period in which these texts were written. Yeah? In other words, we want to find out what these... Because words are like glass, like cups. Yeah? And they can be filled with different substances. And even the same word can mean different thing in different periods. One of my friends put a sign over when, when, when Dana was a baby, they made a very nice calligraphy sign and they, they uh, framed it and they put it over Dana's bed. And it said there, Behold, they shall not all sleep, but they all shall be changed. Yeah? And, and of course, that was a true statement over a bed of a baby. Yeah? But it wasn't the original meaning of these words. They were true words. Right? They were words of truth. But it, it wasn't the original meaning. And in order to know the original meaning, you've got to look at them at their historical and literary context. 
Right? So that's the tool. The world, the literature of the periods in which the text of the New Testament or the biblical texts were written is very important tool. Because it gives us a cross check to find out what the words meant in that period. Because we don't know what, we don't want to, the, these words, what they mean to us. Oftentimes, one of the things that uh, has bothered me is when I used to get together with preachers in Abilene or, or other lectureships, and we'd sit till the wee hours of the night, and we would discuss and argue and, and, and you know, even get angry sometimes. Because the Americans don't know how to argue without getting angry. The Jews are an expert. You know, they argue all the time. <laughs> and the Americans, if you disagree with him, you become his enemy. Yeah? But, uh, but among the Jews, they're Talmudic. They will argue till they cross the rabbi's eyes. Yeah, you know? And, uh, and so they used to argue and they would say, well, I think it means this. And I think it means that. And everybody says, what they think it means. Listen, folks. I'm not interested in what you think. Yeah? I want to know what did it mean in the first century. And in order to do that, I have got to know the world of the first century. The literature of the first century. The language of the first century. The circumstance in the first century that brought about the need that the Holy Spirit saw to give this revelation. That's, what, that's the essence of the restoration of the first century church. I'm not interested what Campbell thought or Stone thought or, or David Lipscomb thought. That's not in, I'm not, they're not going to be responsible for my soul. Yeah. I want to know what did it mean then. Okay, now I'm going to share with you something very crucial from the Bible. I could continue this way talking about the restoration. But the question is, is the concept, the basic concept of restoration a biblical concept and not an invention of the restoration preachers in the 19th century? Is it a basic biblical concept? And I say yes. The, the Bible presents to us a historical view that the beginning was the ideal. The world presents to us a different historical view, and that is that the world is progressing. Mankind is getting better, and all the time improving. We're constantly getting better, improving. There is evolution in humanity. We were monkeys, and we're becoming human beings. The biblical view is that we were the most human in the beginning, in the garden. That was the way that we were designed, and that's the ideal state for which we were designed. Since that time, we are declining. Yeah, mankind is not getting better. Yes, he's riding in a nicer car, and he's got a washing machine. Believe me, I remember my mother, when she got her first washing machine. She said, oh, now I'm going to have time. I'm going to relax, I'll be able to push the button, it'll do the work. She thought she'll have more time when she had the washing machine. You know what? Didn't happen. Then she got a mixer. She said, that's going to make things easier and I'm going to have, do things faster, I'll have more time. Didn't happen. Yeah? All these machinery have improved our physical state of being. And thank God for the machinery and for the gadgets and for the modern medicine. But they have not improved the heart and the soul of men. Men have become lonelier. Men have become more broken, more depressed. The family unit is broken down. Our life quality is not better. We're not happier than our forefathers who had nothing, who were riding in a buggy. We are not happier than they were. With all these things, man's state has not improved with technology at all, in the soul, yes?
Thank you. Now, open your Bibles to Lamentations. I've got just a few minutes. Lamentations chapter 5. Now, according to tradition, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. The verse 21 of chapter 5, the last verse of Lamentation. What was the circumstance in which Jeremiah, I mean, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations? What happened? Why did he write Lamentation? What does the word Lamentation mean? Huh? Crying. It, it's a song of mourning, a lament. When people die, they mourn for them. Who died in this city? I mean, in this uh, lamentation. The city of Jerusalem, the, the, the people of Judah, who were taken by the Babylonians to exile, the way God had predicted would happen. And it's a very sad book. But notice how it ends. It's very important, the ending of lamentation. It gives us, there is one, there is many places that I could demonstrate to you, but maybe tonight, that the, the concept of restoration is a biblical concept. Notice, what does it say? Verse 21. The, 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 the lamenter is crying to God and he says, Restore us to thee, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Here is a, 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 an interesting statement. Renew our days now as they were in the past. Yeah? In the past we were okay. We were the people of your pasture. We were walking under your light. We have sinned. We have departed from your ways. Please help us. Here is one of the crux of the failure of the restoration movement. We have tried to do it ourselves. We have tried to restore the church. With our own wisdom, with our own politics, with our own power. Nowhere in the Bible is the word restore used. We can't restore anything. We can't even restore one hair on the top of our head, according to Jesus. Now, some institutes over here have managed... But it doesn't work very well. Yeah. The power of restoring the church. Yeah, Jerry. <laughs> Next time, don't sit under the light. Find a dark spot. <laughs> uh, the power of restoring the church is not within the church. The power of restoring the church is in the hands of God. And one of the reasons we have failed because we haven't asked Him to restore. We have tried to do it ourselves with our own wisdom. That's why we're in the state we're in now. Restore us, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Yeah. When of old? Jeremiah's view and the view of the prophets, all the prophets, when was the ideal situation for Israel's history? When was the ideal period of Israel's history? The wilderness, that period in which they murmured, they got punished, they had to depend on manna burgers and manna spaghetti, yeah, and manna pizza, yeah. That's the period that they were, that the prophets considered as the ideal period of Israelite history. You know why? Because they were constantly in communication with God. Every day they knew where they're supposed to be. How did they know? They had a cloud by day that led them. If the cloud lifted, they said, pack up your bags, boys. Let's follow. By night it was a pillar of fire. Yeah? They had Moses and Aaron that had the breastplate and the Urim and Tumim. They could ask from God whatever they wanted and they would get an answer. Yeah? They were led by the Spirit of God in the wilderness. They were punished instantly for their transgression. That's a wonderful thing to have. Yeah? 
It's a wonderful thing to have a, such a relationship with God who says, well, I'm not going to store it up for you. I'm going to give it to you right now. Isn't that best for children? Don't wait. They don't know then why you're punishing them. God punished them instantly. And they repented. And they were healed by God when they looked upon the snake that was built by Moses. The brass serpent. Instantly. God dealt with them as Father deals with His children. And that was considered by the prophets the most ideal state. They had nothing. They were living in tents. No fortresses. No fortified cities. No much army. But they dependent on God. Yeah? So the prophet here says, renew our days as of old. Make us dependent on you. The way we ought to be. Unless thou hast utterly rejected us and art exceedingly angry with us. In other words, the, the, the writer says, the only way that it, this will happen is if you haven't rejected us. And I don't think God has rejected the church. Any church. I think that God is still interested in all the people that call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And He wants to restore all of them to His faithful body. Yeah? And I'm saying that I'm responsible for what I'm saying. God is interested in all the world. But He has not yet written off the Christian world at all. And we ought not to write off the Christian world. We ought to be interested to spread the message of going back to the Bible, understanding the Bible in, in the context of the language and the history and the period, because that's the only way to know truth. If I share with a bunch of preachers or elders what I think, it's no guarantee that it is truth. I've been wrong many times before. Yeah. Ask my wife, she lists them all. Is that true for you also? <laughs> uh, the only way to know that we are doing the will of God is to go back and restore not the New Testament church, but restore the will of God for all mankind the way it is described in this book. That's the essence of restoration, to renew our days as of old when we were totally dependent on God, when the church had no politics, there was only one church, and they had no power except the power of the individual life and the guidance of the Holy Spirit that gave them the strength to stand in front of lions and to praise God and shout, Hallelujah! Yeah. And that brought down the Roman Empire. And it's continuing to bring down empires even today. That's what we want to restore. And we're going to continue this in greater detail. This was kind of an introduction to the need for restoring the church. Tonight we're going to continue it. And then during the service from another aspect. Thank you. Uh, we, we do have just a few minutes, so does anybody have any questions that you'd like to ask Joseph? Yeah. on ourselves? Number one, truth is not canned. It is not static. It's a dynamic thing. And we must search the truth with fear and trembling and with prayer. Yeah. And that's a responsibility of every individual. Yeah. Don't buy into a system. It's a mistake, in my opinion, to buy into a system. Because all the systems that man has devised till now have failed. Search the scriptures and pray. Ask God to help you 
understand them. It's very important. You know, when I was a student, I remember, in Georgia Christian still, I remembered that the teaching was then that when you study the Bible, you have to pray. You have to beg God, if you don't understand something, to help you understand it. Yeah? That's practical. Another way, in my opinion, is we've got to restore the belief that God is at work. That he hasn't abdicated the job. Yeah? And, and this is not such a simple thing today. Because there is so much counterfeit going on that the danger is that one would bite into the counterfeit. Yes. Everybody hear what she said? What, she, what this sister said is very, very important. We've got to shed off the idea that we have restored the New Testament church. We've got to admit that we're in the process of restoring the New Testament church. That we're in a movement that is intending to restore the New Testament church. But that we have, we have not yet finished the job. That's the essence of what this sister said. Yes, J.J. All right, how would you ever know that you, will ha- that you have restored the New Testament church? First, in my opinion, the concept of restoration, like in the history of, of, of the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament, is a concept which constantly needs going, to keep going on. It's not, we are learning constantly from God and from His Word. But we know that we have restored certain things. For example, in my opinion, we have restored the basic initiatory process of becoming a Christian. We have restored that. How do we know? We read what it is here. We study the literature of the period. We see how it was understood by by the people that first received it and how they practiced it. We have evidence for what we are doing and we reflect on what is written here and then on what we are doing... And we say, this is according to the word of God. And that we have restored. Yeah? We have checked it. We have cross-checked it. And we say, okay, this is what we are doing. Okay? Now, there are areas that we haven't done that to. That we have bought into the Protestant system. And we need to do the same kind of checking and cross-checking and comparing ourselves to the New Testament church that is described in the will of God, not that is described what happened in 1 Corinthians 5. Yeah? But in the good things that God willed for His church and compare and see, are we taking a part of that or not? Are we living according to this or not? And as long as we are not, we keep on working, trying to get there. And it's not only in doing things. We've been good in the, in the Campbellite movement on doing the things, on, on, on the process of doing things. But in attitude, there are attitudes of the New Testament church that we haven't touched. Yeah? Yes? This brother. You, in my opinion, it's good for a few brothers to know the original languages. Not every Christian has to study Greek and Hebrew. Yeah? We have fairly good translations in the English language. You're very fortunate. You've got more translation in English than any other language in the world. There's not as many in French or German or, or Danish or Swedish. English has got more translations than any other language in the world. 
And so, if you are a careful student of the English text, you can find out the basic necessary tools to live your life according to the will of God. You don't have to know the origin. Not every. It's good for a few to, to know. But it's not an absolute necessity uh, to, 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 for salvation to know the original languages. Yes, Bill. about we have there's some truths that we have arrived at we have restored that the attitude of restoration would say that even on one of those truths that we think we have arrived at that we've got to constantly be open toward i may not have yes and there's there's the constant search but once i ever close the book on it yeah. i lose the concept of restoration that's right that's very important what uh, brother bill said that even when we compare ourselves to what the early church did and held. Even then, we constantly have to have a humble and open attitude that we have not exhausted everything. Now, the, the, I'm going to be preaching this morning on a text that will deal with the attitude of restoration. Yeah? And in my opinion, that is essential. The attitude is more important sometimes than the actual thing that we do. Because we could do the right thing and still have the wrong spirit. And when we have the wrong spirit doing the right thing, it doesn't work for God. Because God is looking into the heart. He's not looking into the pocket, not into the hands, not into the legs. God bless you all. Nativia www.netivyah.org